0: to the WCW vs. NWO podcast, the podcast that analyzes, dissects, and dick punches one of the most important eras in wrestling history. I am your host, Dave, and joined always by my two other avid wrestling fans. First of all, Fergus Looney, how are you doing today? Uh, Feeling very below the belt
1: uh, after that introduction, (laughs) but uh, good, I'm doing good. Uh, It's nice to be podcasting
0: again and talking to you guys, because I miss this. Yeah, it's been a little while, and it's been a little while because of a special occasion. I wanna welcome back Connor O'Donnell and I wanna welcome your baby daughter into the world. Congratulations, Connor, on becoming a new father.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> everything's going great. Really
3: happy to be podcasting and watching wrestling again. There was a few weeks where it's just like taking care of baby, but Yeah, everything's going great and uh, I had a podcast for sure. And I, I just want to say thank you to all the fans for picking this pay-per-view. For not <laughs> yes. torturing us. I mean, like we did a Twitter poll. I think we did like all good pay-per-views. So I think we were going to like win either way, but like this was like the ultimate treat, I think.
0: Thank you so much. And if you want to be involved in voting for future, you know, off the cuff pay-per-views, we do, you can follow us at WCW versus NWO podcast on Twitter. Quick question for you, Connor. If there's one female wrestler, you want your daughter to take after in life. Who would it be, oh. past or present? Ooh. That's a tough one.
3: Becky, she's she's the shit right now. So well, how could you She's not the man, film? obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we're doing the podcast. No! I
0: love that gimmick, though. It's too good. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, she is on an absolute tear at the moment. And uh, a podcast favorite, it sounds like.
3: Yeah, the Homer pick for you. you yeah, yeah sure. it's
0: nothing to do with her being from, like, down the road, <laughs>
3: essentially. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, hate, I
0: hate her accent, though. I hate all Irish wrestlers' accent because... She's at least toned down, but when Seamus first came over, fella, he's, he's the <laughs> worst.
1: Fella, fella, fella. There,
0: there, was a, there was a rumor at one stage in his contract, he had to stay pale. I, I still think my favorite is his, uh, his friend Beaker. Sorry, his brother Beaker. I haven't, I haven't seen his brother Beaker. Have you oh, never the, seen that? The, oh, yeah, the Muppet segment. I yeah. thought you had some of that. Oh, yeah. Twins. Twinsies. <laughs> yeah if you don't know what we're talking about today's episode will be in your house 16 canadian stampede so we're going up north not just to new york but all the way to calgary for one of the best wwf pay-per-views at the time we thought we'd get a bit of contrast again the fans voted it in but uh this this one was really a joy to watch and a, a very weird change of pace from the era we're going through in wcw
3: it's weird you say at the time this is like all all time i like i've I've heard this is on a lot of like top 10 lists of like best pay-per-views.
1: Yeah. There's lots of people that love this show just for its wrestling for some of its historical significance. And then also I have my personal favorite. It is one of the shortest pay-per-views I've ever watched. There is almost no filler.
3: Four matches on the card. Yeah.
0: Four matches, all-star power, uh, very, very precise uh, spots to get everything in, but still relevant ones. They don't just glaze over stuff. Connor, you, you usually watch the Nitros first. You've been catching up with a couple of Raws for this show. What do, what do you think, the difference in the shows?
3: I watched two Raws, to, to be to be frank. But yeah, it was... Man, it was so much fun. I got hooked in Line and Sinker just immediately. This like era of WWF, I didn't really watch. Like I kind of knew what was going on, but the Paul Bearer promos were just excellent and just all the all the great talent that they have right now. Just everything is moving at just a fast pace compared to nitro. That seems to be not moving at all. (laughs) So it's just like, how did, how did WCW win that many weeks in a row? I have no idea. I remember Mick spoke on like, I can't remember which documentary was maybe it'd been the Monday night wars, but like Mick was definitely jaded that like, yeah, we definitely had the better show, but for some reason they were still beating us. I don't know why. I think that he was, he was talking about this era right now because the storytelling right now is excellent, and it's it's only a matter of time that they're going to take over the Radiant War.
0: There's always this misnomer that the mid-card was one of the reasons that WCW was better. You know, the cruiserweight starting off matches. But if you look at the, the main event, which has a bunch of mid-carders in it and some of the other talent in the mid-card, I think WWE was underrated at this time. And honestly, I just think while Austin and Brett are great, and Austin's still up and coming and Sean is great, I think the main event is more compelling, has more star power in WCW opposed to the mid card, which seems way better to me in WBF at this time.
1: I think we'll get to it because I find this show in particular, very significant with the amount of people involved and how they relate to WCW. So I'll try and bring them up as we get through them, but the paths that they're taking and where they are in terms of their careers is very interesting because the vast majority of people on this show, they're not new people. They haven't just been around for like two years or have been shoved up the card or anything like that. They're all kind of slowly figuring out what they're supposed to be doing. Basically, they're on the cusp for a lot of them. And as lots of people will know, within a year or two, a lot of these guys are really, really big. And they, they kind of come out of nowhere. But seeing the show, it kind of you can see bits there. You can understand where it's coming from.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Uh, people finding themselves... A lot of this era has been documented to autobiographies. And, of course, we're very close to and We'll talk about it a, a bit in the show, The screw job, And that's been done to death. But, yeah, we, we we get to see the kind of trajectory of a lot of superstars, careers, legends that we'll be talking about for years in the industry. And, you know, if you're comparing our first match, Triple H versus Mankind, to a match on the last card that we had to cover, you Morris versus Conan, to me, there's a no-brainer Like <laughs> these guys pulled ahead in the end.
3: We have to bring up that match. Every, I know, yeah. Every I just, <laughs> in fairness, yeah, you did
1: pick
0: the worst one there. Uh, <laughs> Getting slightly ahead of myself. Uh, a little bit of background on the show. Calgary Stampede is this big event. It's kind of... I'm, I'm not American. I can't describe it. I guess cowboy event. There's like a rodeo. There's parade. It's very big. In Alberta... And before the WWF did shows here, Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling used to do a show every year at this. And of course, when Vince bought out Stampede Wrestling from Stu, he took over doing a show. I think at nearly every year here. I'm, I'm not sure if it was every year, but took over doing the shows from Stu.
3: Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. They never. This is the first time they did a pay-per-view in Calgary. I know that for sure. They've definitely done shows in Calgary before, but this is the the first one in Calgary. And they've done a few pay-per-views in Canada. Well, there's another one coming up as well. Oh, yeah, of course. How, How could we forget? Yeah. So they've definitely done a few Canadian shows that were very successful. And this was just like perfect timing because this show was booked, obviously, way ahead of time. And this whole Heart Foundation thing, it was just an organic progression, which is really nice to see.
2: We no longer live in a world of black and white. Rather, the landscape has become a canvas of muted grays, where good is indistinguishable from evil, and renegades receive a hero's embrace. For nearly a decade, Bret the Hitman Hart was perhaps the most beloved superstar in the World Wrestling Federation. But when a stone cold killer declared his intention to end Brett's legacy, the hitman was perceived the villain, the unrelenting antagonist, the fan favorite. Soon anger replaced passion, arrogance supplanted a champion's pride. Brett turned his back on an entire nation and reunited the Heart Foundation to launch a reign of mayhem and destruction. Tonight in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, the paradox continues. Tonight, the prodigal sons return home the heroes, while five mighty superstars on a noble crusade become the villains. Tonight, the rogues are the beloved, the heroes, the hated. Tonight, the gray clouds of disarray threaten to unleash a devastating tempest in your house.
0: We got a black and white video package explaining the WB landscape and how its shades of gray. You know, there's a lot of talk about tweeners at this time and who's getting cheered and not. This is the start of like Bizarro Land and Canada cheering for Brett and the Heart Foundation, who are out and out heels in America and nearly any other place in the world. I guess probably in the UK at the time, they're still cheering for the Bulldog and the Heart Foundation as well. Austin is the renegade. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. And he's kind of turned the decade long face Brett into, um, would you guys say anti-American or just anti-fan? He's kind of spinning in the face of the fans a little bit with his turn. I'd say
1: bitter. Yeah, bitter is a good word. Because he's done everything possible up to this point to be the good guy for for the company in and out of storyline. And it's never really translated as much as he would like it to. Uh, And then to have Austin as this kind of... It hasn't quite started really yet, fully yet, but it, it, he's about to become this kind of runaway freight train. And it's like completely different to anything Brett would ever have done. <laughs> he has very legitimate beefs that he kind of brings into the storyline as well.
0: Yeah, the video shows a lot of the dastardly deeds that the Canadians are doing in America. And the uh, the Canadian crowd do not care. They cheered the crap out of any mention of uh, the Heart Foundation anyway.
3: So as we talk more and more about this pay-per-view, we're going to talk about the stark contrast between the two companies. And this promo package is is one of them that I have down. The storytelling and promo packages, it's just another level compared to WCW. You can't even compare the two. I mean, just the the editing and just the dialogue. I mean, listen to this line. We no longer live in a world of black and white. Rather, the landscape has become a canvas of muted grays where good is indistinguishable from evil. (laughs) <laughs> that is just awesome. Stuff. They
1: managed to sum up their entire feud in like, I don't know what it is, 3 minutes or whatever. However long the promo is, you wouldn't have had to watch anything before this pay-per-view and you know exactly what is going on.
3: Right. And this is like months and months. This is from all the way back at WrestleMania 13 with the, you know, the double turn match. I and mean, if, if you haven't seen that match, you should stop this and go watch that match immediately. It's one of the most iconic matches.
0: What I love about WWE editing, for even currently, is they do the very fast, action-packed flashes. The WCW ones seem to be a bit slower, like they're trying to get you to see every moment. WWE slash WWF just pack as much action in as possible, and as many cool key moments in the feud. We see a lot of sharpshooters around the ring post, we see a lot of chair shots, a lot of violent, setting-the-tone flashes and images in this cut. There's just a
1: better structure. Yeah, Clearly, somebody has actually sat down and gone, okay, this is what we're talking about. What visuals can be used to convey what we're talking about? Like It's a simple thing, but it makes a massive difference. Also, the quality is so much better. It, it just looks unbelievably better than WCW's uh, packages. It's the same time, so there shouldn't be any excuse in terms of quality of material.
3: Hey, they're not even doing anything like that innovative either it's just like black and white you know the typical fade in fade out type of thing i mean that's just like a really easy technique to do in editing again they took the time with the with the dialogue the prodigal sons return home the heroes while the five (laughs) mighty superstars on a noble crusade become the villains Yeah, I I like
0: Noble (laughs) Crusade. It was just corny, but not too corny, and I enjoyed it.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not the the corny uh, monster truck promos that we get in WCW, (laughs) which are very. It's just very on the nose, but these are very like it's in depth, and we're trying to go into a story that you can kind of believe and get into instead of yep, this match is going to happen.
0: The one thing I'll rag them on is the black and white kind of gimmick. It does make sense; they're trying to say everything is gray. Now, but that is ripping off the NWO slightly under like original packages. Well, I, I do I do understand it, and it is very trendy at the time. Vince gives us an exuberant welcome and introduces <sighs> Jr. and the King, who has an mm-hmm. enormous cowboy hat on. Yeah, Vince. and is at ringside. Vince also dressed up like a cowboy, and Jr. in his everyday attire, I guess.
1: Vince looks great. I have to say, <laughs> <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: it's tough to stand out when there's a man sitting beside you with a gigantic
3: comically sized hat but he did uh (laughs) this this was my other point of contention obviously the commentary it's just you know you don't have to like vince but still i think the quality of commentary it's we'll we'll get into it as we as we go along but it's just man jr is just on fire this is before his bell's palsy and he is just on fire
0: yeah i also i only kind of know um super attitude error lawler who hasn't aged well at all? And this is before he becomes kind of the completely unhinged, appealing to the teenage boy demographic kind of commentator. And he's on point as well. You know, you forget how charismatic and smart that guy is in the wrestling industry, and he makes a lot of great points as well in the match. He doesn't—he isn't acting the doofus like we know him best as.
1: Yeah, my chief point about the commentary because it comes up over and over again is it's amazing how no arguing makes the commentary better. They have a purpose they know what the matches are and they don't really get in the way of each other. Sometimes there's some dead air because they're waiting for someone else to pitch in, but at least they're not rambling about something that means nothing to what's going on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and King, no is, rants. <laughs> yeah,
0: King is still the heel King. He isn't like super cheering against every face, but as he says in his opening package, he thinks mankind is going to get us come up. So he thinks he's bitten off too much more than he can chew. And he is still anti a lot of the faces, but not he's not starting argument with the play-by-play guys, which is important. Our first match is one of my favorite rivalries of all time. We get Hunter Hertz helmsley important, not Triple H. We get Blue Blood Hunter versus Mankind, still in his kind of Man uh What What was his original name going to be? Mankind Manson or something? Uh, something hmm. like that, yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, I didn't know, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, his original name was going to be awful. Still in kind of that half attire before he changes to his wrecked shirt and kind of goofy persona. These guys have absolutely torn it up, and I don't think this match disappointed. Both guys trying extremely hard for what again is not a. Tra- I don't. I don't want to call it in your houses throwaway shows, but definitely not a big show.
3: Yeah, the the set pieces. It's definitely. I remember going back to some of these. I'm like, I was. Yeah, you know, we give WCW a hard time. But yeah, the inner House kind of sets. They're not the best thing in the world. It's and always it's exactly always, the same. <laughs> yeah. As far right, as I it's, can It's recall. always the same. And yeah. probably in like a year, I think they just ditched this whole concept. I'm pretty sure.
0: Which is a shame because I like the format. It's just, if it's the same pay-per-view again and again and again, why are people going to get excited? You've got to make it a bit different.
3: Right. I, they improved the branding, the, the creative names. It, it was definitely more memorable when they started incorporating that.
1: Yeah, I think from what I remember, the p- the point was that they had the four main ones and then every other one was an in-your-house. The first one, I, as obviously they didn't do it continuously, but the first one they genuinely gave away a house <laughs> as, as, part oh, of yeah. a, as part of some sort of <laughs> raffle type thing. And they didn't went Vince and,
0: call everyone? Was that yeah, that one?
1: it's Yeah, there's some apocryphal story about that, like I can't recall, but I do remember them giving away a house on the first one. <laughs> But yeah, the, the I I just had like when I saw the set, I was like, oh, there's so many memories here. <laughs> so instantly remembering pockets of different pay per views
0: because, it, it, like you said, the set is is pretty much the same the entire time. We got Triple H out first to this match, full blue blood gimmick with his. They keep calling her his bodyguard, China, and I always loved that pairing. I loved China being the heavy. It's just so different. She's very good at it. I think mostly because. Sometimes she's a little green and she just actually clocks people, which I think is kind of <laughs> fantastic.
3: She does some impressive things on Raw. She actually did it Hurricane and Run, I think to Shamrock or something like that. I can't, or maybe it was Goldust. Oh, I can't mm-hmm. remember, but she, she did it pretty well. And I, I don't think I've ever seen her pull off a move like that before. No, she she
0: did become very much just military presses and clotheslines when she wrestled more. But nice to hear that she has an athletic uh, streak in her as well. Michael Hayes does this weird voiceover for a vignette between Hunters and Nick's oh, entrance. So cheesy.
2: E- excuse well, me. Excuse me. Is...
0: Give him his proper name. Uh, Doc. Hmm. Uh, Doc Henderson. Hed- Doc Hendricks. Henders. 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 Why did they need to change that? Like, he's <laughs> he's a free bird. <laughs> why,
3: why,
0: not ride, why not ride the free bird gimmick? If someone knows about this, if someone knows the legal reason they can't. Please do tell us. But... I mean, it could very easily be Vince just trying to fuck with him. Like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's a rib. You know? <laughs>
1: it's yeah, some kind of it, elaborate rib. Exactly. Huh.
3: Yeah, I thought the, the promo package was nice. It wasn't like anything amazing, but just a nice recap of, hey, this is what the feud's been going with. And here we go. Here's highlights of the physical match they had at King of the Ring.
0: Doc Hendricks isn't the greatest voiceover guy, but this is fine. We get a snippet of one of my favorite McFoley interviews, and it's, I never had a chance to show the world I could love. Or be loved. It's with his sit down interview series with JR. And this is the point where they're starting to really humanize McFoley and embrace that he has multiple faces. And instead of doing the very really typical wrestling thing of he has a new gimmick, we forget about the old gimmick. They're saying that it's almost a psychosis that he jumps between characters to handle life. And he's not like that because he's. A whack job or a monster or an undead <laughs> wizard. He's a normal person that enjoyed wrestling. And got got pushed to the brink. It's it's kind of very attitude era. E from going. They wanted to make him into another cartoon to feed the Undertaker. Essentially, another long line of monsters that need to be unbelievable to have to face Undertaker. To very human, and he gets to what, what do they call it? The boyhood dream angle that Sean had got before, and that was usually reserved for very beautiful baby faces. And instead it's given to Mick. He's, he's an every guy. And we see shades of that now with people like Daniel Bryan, more relatable stars. Even
1: here, Foley, Foley's physique is not exactly what you would call
0: svelte. (laughs) No. And this is like, he's better here. He gets a lot worse in the next two years. Unfortunately. Oh my
3: God. He looks so much better. Like, I mean, he can actually do some moves without it, you know, limping. and
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Barely. He has another fantastic line. <laughs> I'm such a um, foley, Mark, so I'm sorry if this gets too much for some of the listeners. But he has another fantastic line. China actually doesn't talk that much. And in the vignette, we see one of her first times talking on Raw, apparently. And she tells Mick, who is on the titotron that she thinks he should come down here and kiss her ass. Mankind replies, well, it's your lucky day because I'm a good kisser. And I just think little, little moments like that show just someone who's really good on the mic and super entertaining.
3: Dave, I think you're absolutely right with the humanizing thing because uh, th- same thing kind of happens with Undertaker, and we'll get to that as as we get there. But a good indicator of that is we already have signs where or there's a sign at this pay per view that says "Mankind for Prime Minister," so the fans are already <laughs> kind of getting yeah, behind buying this weird in character, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it is funny, as I said, bringing up Taker, that for years all he did was bring in a ridiculous over-the-top characters because in their mind, no one could beat the undead wizard but some kind of dinosaur man. <laughs> you know, you see that with, uh, what's his name, Giant Gonzaga's? Gonzales. C- Gonzales. Gonzales, sorry. Can we bring in a normal human being to fight our undead wizard? No, he has to be an ape man in this weird muscle costume because he's not that muscular underneath. <laughs> and he has to be beaten with chloroform (laughs) so we are starting to see the attitude era change of just people fighting opposed to cartoon characters fighting
1: well it's not even just people it's just more they're more relatable
0: yeah more relatable is is a good term for sure mankind wastes no time getting into this match laying into triple h setting the pace he hits a running bulldog and a double arm ddt which i was sure was still one of his finishers at the time But he ends up with a Triple H curtsy and the crowd goes nuts. They absolutely hate Hunter here.
3: The crowd for this pay-per-view, I mean, it makes the show. I don't know if we've mentioned it yet, but it's why this pay-per-view is so infamous. When when a crowd is this hot, it makes every match so much more enjoyable.
1: I mean, we'll give it its due, particularly
0: in the main event. But yeah, throughout the card, they're on fire. (laughs) So uh, a pet peeve of WWF over the years of mine would be, and it kind of starts here with the Heart Foundation, calling places like Canada topsy-turvy land, where people cheer uh, cheer for the heels and boo the faces. But that's not really true. They cheer for Canadians and people related to the Hearts, but they boo Hunter. Hunter's a fantastic heel here. And they cheer Mick, who's supposed to be the face. And it's the same in other matches. It's just... They don't like people who are beating on Brett. <laughs> that's not that topsy turvy. <laughs> they make they make it a lot, uh, they make it out to be a lot worse than it is. And it's the same current day uh, situation. They were in Canada, I think, uh, one of the shows I watched recently, and they're cheering for people like Kevin Owens and Sammy, and like, oh that's so topsy turvy. No, they grew up down the street, man. <laughs> they're always gonna cheer for people who grew up down the street. That's just so normal.
3: Yeah, while well, well, I agree with you on on this point, I think a lot of it's just how Austin has been, how how he acts. He, he he acts more like a heel, but he's still getting this great babyface pop everywhere. But Canada. yeah,
0: exactly. Mick follows up the initial punishment with a cactus elbow onto the concrete. Uh, we get an b- amazing piece of commentary from Vince here, which is, look at the delts on China. <laughs> yeah. Jerry oh. has to ask him, what are you talking uh, about? What? <laughs> they're deltoids. They're her deltoids. They're, they're huge. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he kind sure. of just discuss- oh, right, right. Uh- Great piece of commentary also by JR. Mankind is no doubt the prime minister of parts unknown as they <laughs> brawl more on the outside. <laughs> Hunter Berry gets any early offense in until China clobbers mankind as he has a mandible claw locked in and looking to finish the match. The one downside I can say to this match is this is very typical attitude error. The ref sees and hears nothing, even though it happens beside his head numerous times. No one is that blind without needing a guide dog. It's just not, it's not <laughs> possible. It, it's still fine, but it detracts, I think, a little bit from the match. What, what do you guys think of attitude error referees?
3: At the time, it did not annoy me, but going back, it definitely is really annoying. I thought in this match was is not as bad as the other matches are, because I think China she times her spots a lot better than we'll see just ball shots right in front of the referee and it's like, <laughs> and the commentary is like, uh, it should be a DQ, but, yeah, but we move on, whatever, yeah, yeah. They they want to they want to see a finish.
0: <laughs> it's the typical WCW excuse. Yeah, the ref just doesn't think it should end like that. Well, that's not the ref's decision. That's not any <laughs> sports official. Field goal by the Patriots. Not. We don't end matches on field goals. Let's have another kickoff. <laughs> no.
1: Let's go. Yeah, I'd agree with Connor. anyway. it's Apart from there's maybe one where like they're basically on top of each other and she interferes. There's, I'm trying to remember exactly what she does. But most of them, she times them quite well. And it's quite well set up that he's turned around talking to Hunter or something.
0: Hunter on the outside whips mankind into China, and China fully paraslams mankind into the steel steps. He lands with his calf right on the corner of it, and mm, man, that was awful man, looking. I love and hate mixed philosophy on hitting stairs. He writes about it in one of his books, and he just hates that wrestlers lean in with their shoulder or turn around for safe bumps because that's not how you would hit stairs as a human being. So instead he decides to tear up his legs every time he hits them. <laughs> like, there's Which a I reason guess. they're
1: doing it that way. It's so that you can be a real human being afterwards. <laughs> like <geez. laughs>
0: While the Ref is busy with China on the outside, or are reprimanding her for the power slam. Triple H takes a chair to the injured leg and they work the leg for most of the rest of the match.
3: And well, I'll have to stop you right here. This is another big thing that's very different about WCW. So it's the production. We get replays during the yes. match. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Several of them as well.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And it's still something they do to today and they make sure you see prominent uh, moments again and again. And the wrestlers also know that once there's a big spot like this, the next couple spots, they do need to be a bit more muted. So just time for replays and to talk about the big moment. And that's what happens here. Hunter just picks apart the leg while he's in the ring multiple different kind of cheaty spots and continuously cutting off Foley's offense.
3: Yeah, it helps commentary kind of bridge the gap as well. They don't have to be like, all right, they're waiting to get up. Now we we can just, hey, here's the replay. Whoa, that looked really devastating.
0: the talent and the, the rest of the production work together, which doesn't always happen in WCW. And it doesn't always happen in WF, but it reminds me of one of the reasons Mick left WCW was he did a big spot with Vader where he does the power bomb on the concrete a year after Vader had done it before and almost paralyzed him and he asked commentary, you know play it up, this is the big storyline this is such a big moment, I can imagine what you say and you need to play it up and the commentary team went, well that will give you a headache, (laughs) whole year built, almost paralyzed the man that will give you a headache so nice to see a whole kind of product come together here I love a piece of selling Mankind does here. When he gets whipped to the rope, he just collapses before he hits the, the ropes. He can't support his own weight because his knee is hurting so much.
3: And, and the commentary is just in awe of how much pain Mick can withstand as well. His career in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. <sighs> the match kind of gets into the ref not being amazing at his job, and China and Triple H working on that in many different spots. It's fine, like I think it works well into the match. I like that it shows that Triple H can't really go one on one with mankind. He's too big, he's too powerful, his brawling is too good. And I do like some of the spots as you guys uh, said that China gets involved in. I think the big one you're talking about is near the end of the match, Fergus, where Hunter's on the top of the rope, Mick has the manable claw in, and the referees trying to break them up, so China just pulls Mick's legs out and crotches yeah, him yeah. on the corner and that's okay, but it's very clear that the ref is looking straight at yeah. at China for it. Well even if he's not looking straight, you're like, how would you
1: not think like how did that happen? Any person would be like, wait, and look down or something.
0: <laughs> like, no, no, no. <laughs> so the finish is both of them after this mandible cross spot, spilling to the outside and just ripping into each other, falling into the crowd and getting a 10 count. It's a pretty fast 10 count for the double count out. And this can be a little cliche. What these guys look like, they are tearing into each other and dealing serious damage. I believe that they hate each other. I think uh, it, it's a it's a good finish.
3: Uh, yeah, it's kind of disappointing because we've we've definitely <sighs> yeah. given off on WCW for doing the same thing. I mean, it's it's hard because with the benefit of hindsight, though, we know this feud gets paid off at SummerSlam. It's hard to judge it by that, and and we also know that these guys just have a killer feud in two thousand as well. So I don't, but I I thought it was a decent opener. No surprise from two Hall of Famers, though.
1: I think it's a bit. Random to finish. It's a bit abrupt, and it just kind of comes out of nowhere. But the match is good. The main thing that I that you have to point out here is uh, both these guys were in WCW like two years ago, yeah. And both of these guys were let go. This will be a bit of a a, a recurring theme here. But um Hunter was there for like two years tops, and uh, they decided to let him go because they wouldn't turn him into a singles wrestler. Turns out that he was wrestling with Regal of all people, which I would like to see. That sounds like it'd be awesome. And then Mick is very well documented, but they just kind of gave up on Mick, really. Like, it just they just don't seem to really see anything in him or that he's marketable, I guess. So he kind of left and kind of did the wander, went into ECW and did a bit a stint in uh, Smoky Mountain as well before kind of finding his way into WWF.
0: A recent interview, a recent little documentary about Triple H, and he shined some light on his um, WCW contract. Now, a lot of this is with the modern winner's view of the Monday Night Wars. But he said one thing and why he was able just to go was Eric Bischoff offered him a two-year contract. And he turned it down and he said, why don't you pay me that much for a year? And after a year, either I'll be worth more or I won't be worth keeping. And after the year, they wanted to renew. But he's, he went to WWE instead. And he says one of the big reasons. Now, it is very much more plausible that they wouldn't push him as a single star. And that's what he wanted. But he said one of the reasons he went was because WCW didn't do house shows, so they just had half as half as many shows as WWF at the time. And he wanted to wrestle more because he's actually still pretty green at this stage in his career. This is only his third or fourth year into a bit further into wrestling. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Well, he's like ninety-two. It says. On Wikipedia,
1: okay. yeah. Regardless,
3: early in the career, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So again, that's a very that's a very polite and nice way to put your character forward as a hard worker. But apparently, that's a conversation he had with Vince. He's like, "I would like to just wrestle as much as I can and become really good." And this is a very motivated hunter. We do see in this match. He is, uh, and I think he's very motivated when he works with Mick in general. But he is just putting everything on the line, and he is bumping hard, and he's taking as good as he's getting. And we don't get that as much with, you know, post-Attitude Era, post-DX Hunter, I think. He coasts a little bit on top. So it's interesting. The Mick thing, though, is just a complete... You could not fault WCW for of Hunter. They'd only seen him for a year. He was still working with Regal. His gimmick was kind of weird. He was the French aristocrat because his second name was Levesque with a very terrible French accent. Well, he was was just...
1: (laughs) He was terrorizing first to get that one in
0: terrorizing It was fantastic. Did you hear the story about how we got the Levesque moniker? Snooty in French. Can you speak French? He's like, no, I can't speak French. He's like, okay, well, d- just get an accent. That's who. That's who you are. You move to America as a child and you're like upper class. He's like, okay, what else? He's like, that's up to you, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This is WCW. Will you Backstories? Yeah. No. We can't, we can't give you all the goods. Like
0: <laughs> That's up to you. I just want a Frenchman in the, in the company. Mick, on the other hand, the year before he left, he was doing main event stuff. He was having great matches. Him and Vader matches were tearing it up. Bill Watts loved them. He just seemed to get mixed up in one of the transitions to Booker's, and they had nothing good for him. Which is insane because he he did nothing wrong in the company. His matches were good. He was a good draw. His matches with Sting are excellent. So there's no real good reason for them not to try and keep Mick and they just he's just really unhappy in WCW and they just don't do anything good with him and he leaves. Which is fantastic because his run in ECW is some of my favourite wrestling crap. And his run in WWF is Legendary, and while obviously he doesn't turn the the Monday Night Wars as much as they like to say, he has some very big moments and helps a lot of like he helps Triple H become the talent he is today.
3: I think he's a key member, I think he gets underrated. He's very, very important. Yeah, yeah, I think he's I think he gets rock as over as the main event guy. I think he's just he gets over whoever he wrestles with. He just makes everybody he wrestles (laughs) with so good. Completely agree, and he
0: does it later in his career to Edge and Orton as well. He mm-hmm. gives every he gives every wrestler a realistic mean streak. Every wrestler looks vicious when they're fighting Mick. Because they are. Everyone is just hitting Mick. China is just throwing Mick into some steel stairs <laughs> and giving him massive bruises. <laughs> Half of these punches are half-work punches. You can just see they brawl into the back. They're just kind of wailing on each other and bashing each other off stuff and don't have much regard. I am taking a lot of time to mark out over Mick, but I do agree. He is important. He doesn't seem it, but he gives Rock his best opponent. He gives Triple H his best opponent, the most believable opponent. He gives Austin a great transition opponent to really get storyline into. He helps transition to Rock into a face after a fantastic heel run. He just does, he just does so much for everyone. And even when he's come in, he may, he makes Undertaker, Undertaker's already a star. Don't get me wrong. But he makes Undertaker realistic scary. He's not scary because he can shoot lightning from his hands anymore. <laughs> He's not scary because he has a big pink tie and his, <laughs> the guy that has his urn goes, Oh, yes. He's scary because he tried to murder a man <laughs> twice in one night and he brings a lot of legitimacy to the, uh, to the WF at the time.
3: Yeah, let's just say like I think we're going to be forced to watch some more ma- mankind matches next year when we do 1998. Because Ooh,
0: if we do a mankind episode, I'm oh I'm going to mark out so much.
3: <laughs> but yeah, going back to the match, like I thought like the the finish was disappointing, but the way they followed it up though, I think it made it a lot better.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very non finish. Like it's this isn't an important pay per view. We gave it a good half match, and we neither of the people want to lose face. We don't want either of them to take a pinfall. So not an amazing finish. It could have also been a DQ, just have China run in and actually just clock make in front of the ref. But I think fine.
3: Well, I was kind of getting at what they do afterwards.
0: Yes. Yeah, what they do afterwards, and we'll get to it later in the show because they, they pop up a couple times, is, is fantastic. Do we really need to mention it every time? You can probably just say it now. They brawl backstage for the rest, nearly the rest of the show. They show up at the start of the Great Sasuke and Taka match, and they show up, uh, what's the second time they pop up? After the Undertaker-Vader match, I think. Uh, They're still brawling before Taker, anyway. Uh... Oh, before Taker. They don't before the Heart Foundation match because they only pop up twice. And Hunter's bleeding and he takes a back body drop onto a big pile of wood and Mick gets thrown into a bunch of stuff. Hunter's just hitting referees. Hunter breaks a shovel over... Mankind's back. Insert <laughs> some kind of burying Ooh,
1: joke here. I have, I have to. I have to point out, like, I know that you would obviously never do this because it's wrestling and it's fake. But whoever hits somebody with a shovel the, that that way, that, that way. direction, yeah.
3: like,
1: I better pick it up by the shovel side. Uh, <laughs>
3: But that's how Hunter is. He's like, oh, I use the sledgehammer. I'm not going to use the, you know, the way that you would always hit somebody with a sledgehammer. Have to use the other way. Or you, you like... Puts his fist over it directly. Right,
0: <laughs> he, he breaks his fingers in between the sledgehammer and someone's face.
1: That The back body bump, bump he takes is particularly sore looking as well, to be fair.
0: Yeah. As you know. I said, Hunter very motivated and takes a lot of punishment. As much punishment as... We remember Mick for taking a lot, but he brings a lot out on his opponents a lot.
3: So, so very cool, the, the story that they're trying to tell. Like, oh, nothing can hold them down. And at SummerSlam, they have a cage match. So good storytelling.
0: Fight forever, forever, <laughs> and ever, and ever. Next video package we get is, uh, it comes up a couple times, so will only mention it once in their pay-per-view. It's just showing off the Calgary Stampede Parade. It's showing the little foot of hearts, and there's queues around the corner for Brett to sign stuff. They uh, they make sure to let you know that Brett stays there for every signature we also see LOD and Goldust taking part in the festivities, Goldust, of course, being from Texas, famous uh, Rhodes family, and having a tug-of-war with the fans up <laughs> on stage. Lucky Haku wasn't on one of the sides.
1: <laughs> Very 90s, indeed, this promo is.
0: <laughs> fact, mm. Our wrestlers are great people outside the ring. Ah, it's nice. It's nice to see them interact with the fans. It reminds me a little bit of the Hog Wild opening. We got Doc Hendricks backstage with the Heart Foundation here. He tells Brett losing on his home turf could be devastating. Before he can answer, Austin shows up fighting, wanting to fight everyone. He's pulled back by Pat Patterson and some cronies. Brett tells uh, tells Doc he doesn't want to fight here. He doesn't want one on five. He wants five on five later tonight. We get next our first ever light heavyweight match in WWF.
3: It's probably it's on, not right. First, first on pay per view. They've first kind pay-per-view. of they've started on the Raws a little bit this is kind of the good starting point for the division just because it's like pay-per-view match and it's the first match for these two Japanese fellows
0: Yeah, it's, it's the first uh, first time either of these guys is on uh, WBF and one of them has a pretty ro- long career we're gonna have arguments over how to pronounce his name with a great Sasuke
3: Sasuke Sasuke
0: Sasuke See, some people say it with three uh, not I keep saying wanting to say consonants that's not it three syllables <laughs> some people try to say it with three <laughs> syllables some people say it with two. The commentary team definitely just say Sasuke. The they say it time. three
3: different ways right off the bat. It's like it's
0: Sasuke. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've got the
1: I've got the best way for you to get through this, Dave. He's called Ninja Man. <laughs> Ninja Man. <laughs> there you go. Nobody will be confused as to which
0: wrestler it is because they are both Japanese as well. Uh, but we get Takami Shinoku out as well. Who has a very long story career with the WWF after this, and has a huge career in Japan. Still wrestling. At the moment of recording in New Japan, in fact. Yeah, as I checked,
1: right, I, I went back because I was like, man, so this is like 21 years ago. How old is Taka there? How old do you think he is, 20, Will? 23 is how old yeah, he is.
3: Yeah, they say in the match he's 23. Yeah.
1: and I was like, wow, is that real? Looked at, yeah, he's only 43 at the moment. I was like, shit, because he's yeah. still wrestling in New Japan. So
0: good on him. Yeah. I thought he was just a really, yeah, I just thought he was really old now. He was just one of those people that doesn't age and he was like in his 50s. But no, he was just stupid young during the Attitude Era. Before we begin the
1: match, two of the awesome things. Another thing WCW does really badly: their music is so good.
3: That was my next note. Taka's music is awesome.
1: I like Ninja Man's as well, but
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. But like, I always have a thing for the like combining electric guitar with the uh, I think it's called the shamisen, the Japanese like banjo. It sounds really badass. Yeah, 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 it does. Yeah,
0: yeah, everything has that kind of. Attitude era kind of rock kind of vibe about everything. The X get it a lot with their kind of rage. Is it Rage Against the Machine? Does it? The X team at one stage. Oh, it is not Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Who is it? It is a guy who basically rips
1: off Rage Against the Machine, but it's not.
0: Yeah, well, that sorry, that kind of Rage Against the Machine kind of esque music and all that kind of mixing in. I, I do like it, and it is very much uh, tone appropriate.
3: Yeah, but going going back to Taka's how how old he is, that's one of my notes that just everybody looks young and just in shape, too. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. no psychopath. (laughs) Look at WCW. Everybody is so
0: old. Yeah, WWF seem to be taking more of a risk. Both these guys are, like, very over and very well renowned apparently, at this stage. But they're taking a risk on young guys. Now, Ray, obviously, super young and -and up-and-coming. But some some of the people they take from Mexico and WCW are... I would say a little bit safer bets. Maybe that's underselling them a little bit. What surprised me about this and was a fantastic contrast is both Jr. and King, while they didn't know perfectly about everything, acted like they did. So Jr. had some nice commentary moments referring to some of the Japanese background of both the competitors. And even King referred to the great Inoki versus Ali and mentioning, you know, Anoke uses leg kicks and kind of martial arts in their fight as well. So bring some relevance instead of just commenting on how they're foreign <laughs> for
3: the entire match. They don't have to depend on my tine. Yeah, exactly.
1: Vince has a sweet commentary during this. It's it's not lightning quick, lads. It's lightning-like quick. <laughs> I, had to, I had, to, oh, had to pause and listen to it again to make sure he said it, but yeah, <laughs> I'm like, okay,
0: all right. So we get a lot of traditional chain wrestling to start off the match, and I just want to note the sick... Spinning uh, kick to the chin from Suzuki to Taka. Taka sells it like a million bucks. He just goes limp and falls straight to the ground. And I love that. Just stops dead.
3: This start is very similar to say like a Dean and Ultimo match that we've watched. Like, yes, just a lot of like feeling each other out. Some simple holds, stiff ass kicks. Like this this is like exactly the same.
0: This gets ramped up a lot. We're not going to go into as depth as we do in a normal episode, but a lot of nice high-flying spots. Sasuke hits a single-leg dropkick from the top rope to the outside. I always cringe in those moves because I think of Sid's leg getting caught underneath him when he does something similar. So it always makes me worry a bit, but of course these two are fine. There's a little bit of confusion in the middle of the match. After some deadly strikes by Sasuke uh or sorry from ninja man um (laughs) he obviously nods at the ref to check on paka i don't think paka is actually hurt but to give him a bit of a reprieve and bring the match back up the ref doesn't get what he's saying so just nods back at suzuki (laughs) 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 and just stands there and they're all like uh okay i guess i'll keep that
2: saying yeah
0: Uh, some other extraordinary um spots we get some sunset flips flipping back onto their feet flips out a German suplex, and we get moonsaults and crossbodies to the outside. A lot of Vince calling them pinning predicaments.
3: Not exactly, no, pinning, no. pinning combinations. combinations. He pinning. says that like seven times in this pay-per-view. I thought people say he says, what a maneuver all the time. Pinning combination was his go-to for this show.
0: Yeah, he has, those are his two. And as much as I'll give him, uh, I'll make fun of him for doing that. I much prefer that now that I've heard Dusty try and figure out what to call something. Like yep. at least he is just admitting he doesn't know what to call something and he's staying consistent.
1: Generic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, generic consistent. He's not breaking the flow when Dusty yep. or Brain kind of tries to guess and make fun of a move. I don't think it's as good. Sometimes it's funny, but I don't think it's as good.
3: But at the same time Vency calls Taka what a samurai warrior Taka is. Oh yeah, samurai. Mm.
0: Warrior. Oh. <laughs>
1: So lame, <laughs> like yeah. almost as lame as his waistcoat.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I will go back to one of the spots that you kind of glossed over, Dave. One of the crossbodies to the outside, I think what made it so impressive from Taka is he jumps all the way to the top rope. It's like not a springboard deal, it's just like launches us out perfectly, balances, and then does the crossbody. Like it's really what brought the crowd out of their seats because at the beginning of the match, they're like, What is this? Yeah, we don't know who these guys are.
1: The best part about that as well is uh, the cameraman is bang on for it Perfect. doesn't miss oh, yeah. anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, for all the dives, he does not miss a moment of any of the dives in this match.
3: That's great. And we, the cameraman even gets the typical Attitude Era sign that you can see right after this spot. Do you guys know the sign I'm talking about?
0: Is that the kayfabe one? What is no, 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 that
3: was that was actually later on. Um, no, this one, yeah, you have to freeze frame. It says WCW where the gay boys play. Oh,
2: wow! Oh, so So crazy!
0: Go, Smarks, go!
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah, speaking of Smarks, there was one like really early on. Somebody walks by, says that this is work rate just for this match.
0: Yeah, yeah, I saw there's like this area that can walk between the front. Row when like the the nose bleeds there's this area that can walk through and there's two smarks that walk by with three or four different signs yeah. pretty much. match
3: i forgot smarks. to mention that too that's that's something that's so different with raw like the first shots you get it's like close ups of like a sea of signs and wcw we don't really have that yet i know eventually there's a lot more signs but ww's like bring your signs we want to see them and they show them immediately
0: yeah in contrast to what they do today which is burn all the signs unless, <laughs> unless they're very generic Yays.
3: Yay! yeah we want yeah. you to chant instead
0: uh. Uh. <laughs> well well maybe with some of the signs we saw in the crowd it's it's for the better after hitting a pitcher perfect drop kick to the back of the head taka signals for and hits his missionoku driver and this is kind of I don't know where it came for from before taka but this is just an industry standard move now it's like Roberts with the DDT becoming such a iconic move. The mission Oko Driver is used by everyone almost.
3: He always makes it look amazing too.
0: Yeah, it's just really fluid. He kind of, the way he scoops the head at the end of it, it makes them look very much like they're landing on their head. And they're just not. He, he's obviously a very safe worker. It just looks fantastic. He goes for a cocky pin, counting with the referee. But uh, Ninja Man just kicks out. He hits a mid-air drop kick on uh, Taka. And he gets a two count from a springboard moonsault. He then hits a Taco with the Thunder Fire Bomb, which is a fantastic name for a finish, and a Tiger Suplex for a three count. For those of you that don't know what a Thunder Fire Bomb is, it's an over-the-shoulder power bomb delivered with a bit of gusto. <laughs> One thing I do love about the about the finishers, I always like light heavyweights that have high impact finishers. So the Thunder Fire Bomb is something Saito does everywhere. And it is just a big guy. Like it's something you'd see Ramon or not match to. It's very similar to their finishes. And I kind of like when uh, a light heavyweight or a cruiserweight just has an impact finisher opposed to 700 flips.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, th- I thought this was a pretty awesome physical match. I wish I could see more from these guys. Unfortunately, Sasuke is only, he has one more WWF match, I think. And of course, Taka is their guy. They knew their, this was their guy going into it. So I'm surprised he actually didn't win this match. Well, I what I read,
1: Connor, is actually that he wasn't meant to be the guy bizarrely, really? and that Ninja Man was supposed to be the champion and the the guy they were going to build around. And then supposedly, from what I've read, is that Ninja Man said he would only defend the title in Japan and he wouldn't
3: drop it on TV. And then once McMahon heard, he fired him. Uh, so yeah, it's de- it's depending on who you want to believe. Yeah. Uh, Pritchard says a different thing. He said they were all about Taka, so... Yeah, I don't
1: yeah. know. I will not know. How much I don't believe Pritchard, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tough one. Uh, Taka goes on to have a long, meaningful career between some very serious, light, like, heavyweight kind of action to the Kai and tai stable that did choppy, choppy, the pee-pee. To, <laughs> it's so uh, sad
3: that's like that's the main
0: thing we know him from. Like Well, uh, I, I remember him. I'm very much slightly after this era, and I remember him from Kai and tai, him and Funaki him and Funaki are tremendously underrated workers because they just they're very small guys but they're super good workers and they made their funny kind of um dubbed over english gimmick work perfectly for them if you want to treat there's a match between taka and triple h on a random raw i don't know the date but if you just google taka versus triple h early 2000s i'm pretty sure hunter is the intercontinental champion right yeah, and he's giving random shots to people he knows he can beat, yeah. is his gimmick at the time.
1: Yeah, but this is like big Hunter, like like massive muscular Hunter.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is Hunter that is easily five Takas, and the match is fantastic. Hunter works really well. You actually believe Takas is going to beat him a couple different times. Of course, the APA is involved, which is peak attitude error fantasticness. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to watch. It's probably one of Takas' best matches in the company.
3: So do you guys think the light heavyweight division should have worked in the WWF? With the talent they had, it should have, but they needed they
0: needed more focus.
1: I don't think they ever cared about it. I think yeah. he only really did it because there was cruiserweights. And he, they barely did anything with it.
0: They also never looked out with someone like Ray. And you can still see this today. They're unwilling to take people that don't speak very good fluent English without serious accents to stardom. It's very rare they will, unless the accent is very appealing. We're talking British or Celtic, like the Bulldog obviously gets a decent push, and some British people in current wrestling do. But Ray, even though he doesn't talk much, is an American. The fans get him. The fans cheer for him. And I think they're genuinely scared that all these Japanese wrestlers, that no one will relate to them or get behind them, which I think is a problem. Also, you know, they're not big, sweaty men, so... (laughs)
1: Did yeah. they ever
0: stand a chance? I mean, they
1: do have... A, like, WWF did have a a style and something that they wanted to commit to. And I guess in one way, probably Vince being just really arrogant and going, and going, if I have the light heavyweights and they work, then I'm just WCW. And he really hated admitting stuff like that from all that we can see in history. So I guess he just didn't want it to work. And you go, no, people want big dudes and they want massive, big entertainment and so on. I mean, he wasn't wrong, but... <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: they had the talent, but yeah, they, they never really put enough focus on it. Quietly becomes quite jokey at stages or is just completely forgotten about in others. I enjoyed the match. It's um, it's probably not as good as some of the Ray outings we've seen, but it was super smooth. Very few botches and just a good showing and not a lot of time by both men.
1: I thought it was grand, yeah. I I really enjoyed it. It's probably not as good as a lot of the cruiserweight matches we've watched, I don't think. I, I think I would rather have watched Ray and Ultimo, like, say... Typically, for the card, it's on. Like to say that it's like one of the worst matches is shows you how good the pay per view is.
0: After this match, we get told that Vader originally wasn't supposed to be Taker's opponent by commentary. Ahmed was, and he hurt his knee during a scuffle in one of the many mid card, slightly racist stable face offs with the Nation. And I kind of like this. I kind of like. They they don't pretend nothing happened or Vader was always the plan. Like yeah, one of our guys got injured and he'll be back.
3: It's funny. I, I think I messaged you guys on Facebook. I'm like, oh, this raw is amazing. Like it was right when like Ahmed like just joined the nation. I was like, oh, this is great. This is a lot of fun. And I was like, oh, I wonder where Ahmed goes after this. And then it's like ten minutes later after I messaged you guys like, oh, wait, Ahmed injures <laughs> thing. D- I don't know Ahmed how much. Him.
1: Yeah, as Dave is about to say, he injures himself a lot.
0: <laughs> himself and others. Yeah. Also, I just thought I'd add this. Goldust kisses Ahmed at one stage as part of a match. Goldust's weird-out character. But he's supposed to cover, like, Ahmed's mouth with his hand and kiss his hand. But he doesn't. And he gets out of the stadium as fast as he can. Ahmed wants to murder Goldust after this happened. And I thought that was just really funny. and shows the commitment to the character that uh, Dustin had.
3: Nice. So speaking of uh, murderers, eh? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Murder. Murder. <laughs> we get doc backstage
0: with paul bearer and vader very classic stance by vader just standing in front of the camera roaring with the interviewer behind him and paul this is a change of attire by paul he doesn't have his makeup he has his normal hair color yeah, the hair uh, is very very
1: strange to look at
0: It is because we're so used to just a black. He's kind of like gingery, like ginger blonde. And uh, he doesn't have that ridiculous makeup anymore, which makes sense because Taker has dropped his massive tie purple boots for a while now. So it makes sense that Paul would change with the times as well. Doc asks Paul, how does he look in the mirror in the morning, accusing Taker of killing his family all the time? And uh, Paul shoots back. Uh, saying, looking in the mirror every morning is the best thing he does. And he gives a little wink to the camera. Superb. He asks how Taker can look in the mirror as a murderer and says Vader is going to tear him apart like he did at the Royal Rumble. We get a replay of Paul getting involved in a Rumble match as well. And he does the urn shot, jumping off the apron. <laughs> he takes such a comical spill. He just, he cannot get back up. He should not be jumping off things and is not his forte.
3: Speaking of the old makeup, yeah, cut is weird. Cutting to like an old replay, just like earlier in the year, he has all the old makeup, and then yeah. back to the the, the new look. Whoa. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, back to also, the two ginger dudes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: also, does does anyone do smug look better than Paul Bear? He calls it's for déjà vu. Yeah, he yeah. calls for déjà vu, looking straight into the camera and giving the smuggest look anyone has ever given.
1: Between that and there's one more moment in the
0: when he's oh, down by ringside
1: which is incredible. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But it's time. It's time. It's Vader time.
3: <laughs> Dude, I'm fucking stoked. We get to review another Vader match? Yeah. It awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, for those of you who haven't listened, we have a special Vader episode, and uh, the man does not disappoint. I, I enjoy this match a lot as well. One one thing I've uh, noted, and it is the majority of the match, he sells so much for Taker. Unlike some of the other big guys, Taker has to fight where they're both no selling, and Undertaker's a bit of the underdog. Taker gets a lot of inf- uh, offense, and Vader bumps and makes him look like a million bucks.
1: This is like, if you like big dude matches, you should watch this match. It's
0: great. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really good, and there's not much shenanigans. It's just two brutes going at each other and both respecting, selling for each other. Taker still does a lot of his sit-ups, you know, shrug off your move to sit up in the middle of the ring to spook out his opponent, but that's part of the character, and I'm, I'm fine with that.
1: He's also practically if, if you've only watched wrestling from say two thousand and five onwards, like th- he's a completely different animal here. Like his ability to jump and run and yes. perform moves is another level. Like <laughs> it's it's crazy how athletic he is.
3: This was before he got hurt. This was before the awkward ministry era and endless bouts with Kane. I, I have my my notes I wanted to ask you guys. Is this the best incarnation of the Undertaker? Because this is my favorite.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, in wrestling, I don't think so because he hasn't figured it all out yet. But it's probably the the best look he has. I think.
0: Okay. I think a slight problem with this era, like where he gets matches with Sean, his Hell in a Cell match is very good with Mick. But a problem with Taker before this, when he's at his most athletic but still figuring things out, is he's given such a lumbersome opponents to work with all the time, massive, big green dudes that can't get anyone over, that don't make him look good. He doesn't make them look good. And Vader in this era is kind of a turning point. He gets to work with, as I said, Sean, Mick, Vader, Brett, a lot of great guys that just make him look good and kind of put a stamp on what he is today. It's really sad that they only kind of buy into the streak later on in his career, and then they start feeding him very good opponents. And every year at Mania, we wanted to see his match. Because as as Gus says, his athletic ability is insane. I've noted that both men do top rope clotheslines. And I don't say this very often. Taker's looks way better than Vader's. Vader's like <laughs> the patron saint of like athleticism for a big guy. And Taker makes him look fat and slow by comparison, to be honest. And he's just, he's is really good in this match.
3: One thing I, we have to know before we get into it is... Man, we thought the NWO takes their time to the ring. There's nothing like a good old Undertaker entrance. And <laughs> I mean, he's quick here.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's only a couple bongs. They've added an additional bong recently, so he has more time to get to the ring.
3: <laughs> I have to note this. I love how commentary they stay silent throughout the entry, yeah. the entrance. Yeah. It's not like Shavani Dusty constantly talking over the wrestler's entrance, and then the wrestler trying to talk to the camera. It helps when you have an iconic wrestling theme like the Undertaker's music of course but this was just like it felt so good it felt nice just let the characters breathe enjoy the atmosphere enjoy the crowd just going nuts it's a small detail I know but all these things like add up to build up a huge talent like this and especially have we even noticed he's the champion so
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah. I love uh, Vader's reaction as well at the end because he does he does the silly like light reveal or whatever and there's like a crack of lightning and everything And Vader just jumps out of his boots like (laughs) you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is this is cool. And to be fair to to Vince here, like I know we we rag on him for his silly mannerisms and whatever, but he does the massive promo job for Taker constantly here about how incredible he is. And he really makes you believe you're like, yeah, this guy is insane. Like,
0: (laughs) yeah, what I love about Vader's selling as well. Because a lot of people, and I hate, I hate. There's a lot of current examples when a wrestler gets scared, he's got to be scared for the rest. Now Vader composes again. He's like, "Oh no, it's, I'm ready to fight." You know, it, it's showing a little chink in the armor opposed to a puddle. You know what I mean? So I, I think fantastic here. Paul Bearer also kind of cowering in the corner until <laughs> the ca- yeah, yeah, until the camera catches
3: him and he's like, "Oh, whatever, murder, <laughs> <then.">
2: <laughs> Murderer murder." <laughs>
3: Jr's aren't pretty hard to hide when you're 400 pounds. Then King's like, you ought to know. <laughs> <laughs> Silence after that. <laughs>
0: yeah, Jr. takes a lot of fat shots at poor Paul in this match, and uh, he is not—he is not one to be uh, throwing uh, throwing stones and glass houses or anything.
3: Yeah, but maybe JR's is just not ready to make the comebacks to, to King yet. No, uh,
0: King is less uh, less of an easy target. He's pretty normal here, as we said before. This match starts off pretty normal pace, as I said, Vader selling crazy early for Taker, making him look great. JR mentions Vader's dominance in Japan, which I like. You see bits of this with mick as well. While they won't mention WCW exists, they will reference Japan and ECW later on and get into who they were before that. A couple times Vader gets ahead of steam, but Taker always stops him dead. Do you want to talk a little bit about um about Paul getting involved? You mentioned it before. Cause
1: No, I was really only mentioning the uh, sitting on the ring apron. That was, it really sticks out to me. I mean, he obviously does get involved, but it, it was because it was so simple and yet it really added so much character to what was going on. You knew more about Paul Bearer, even if you didn't know any of the backstory, much like if you just came into this pay-per-view cult. And there's all these little details that people are paying attention to. It, it really adds to it. I am starting to wonder, like like Connor was saying, like how... Why weren't they beating WCW at this
0: point? (laughs) (laughs) There's something about Paul who has the perfect balance of sleaziness and and funniness, constantly shouting murder at Taker every time he's outside the ring, taking little shots at him, but scurrying off the second there's a sniff of Undertaker getting back to his feet.
3: Yeah, it's just insane of how like how deep the backstory is that they've given. You don't know who Kane is, but like they've given the whole backstory of the whole, yeah. They already know the uh, whole family dying. Yeah. The more, yeah. Paul Bear was the mortician that worked with them. They this full elaborate backstory. It was like Paul Bear does like a ten minute promo on the whole thing. It's really riveting stuff. I highly recommend watching it. It was the first time I actually watched the whole thing. I knew there was like actually watching it and sitting down and paying attention to it. It really just makes this match even even better.
0: Do you guys think Paul's a little underrated in the current pantheon of, like, all-time great managers, talkers?
3: For myself, it's, I didn't even know he was this good. I I knew he had. I've heard he did some good promos, like, when Kane comes in, but I don't remember this stuff. I just remember his old, old campy, you know.
1: Yeah, I only, I only have the campy early taker stuff in my brain. I basically know none of his pre-WWF work where he's Percy Pringle. He's supposed to be really good then, but I've never seen it, so. I, I imagine that people who have would rate him quite fairly, but you do hear that people really liked him. I just, I don't know.
0: <laughs> From the little snippets I've seen, I'm like a huge fan. I think he's up there as maybe one of the top 10 managers, if not more of all time. You can see a lot of his influences on later people. He's overshadowed massively by current Paul, Paul Heyman, who is very, very similar, but not cartoony. Very sniveling and intelligent when he needs to be but almost crying and caring whenever a face is, is, you know, up, open his, uh, his grill.
3: Yeah, it's an, it's another level here, too, because, you know, we like Sonny Ono, but Sonny Ono is not going to give you, like, a, a deep promo like Paul Bear just did. It's, no. n- it's not even close.
0: After a lot of taker dominance, he gets a bit of his comeuppance when he goes after Bear a couple times, Vader cutting him off and sending him into his steel steps, Taker apparently taking Foley notes and hitting the steps knee first and going over the top. Oh, man, watching him walk around nowadays, it's, it's hard to watch him take those bumps. Eventually, Taker gets a head of steam back up, striking a lot, <laughs> hitting Vader in the belly a lot, which is very funny. He, jiggle, he jiggles a lot and <laughs> Vader stops him. In his tracks, big old dick kick right in front of the referee. Ref's like, yeah, he's a zombie. He doesn't even feel it. Let's just just keep the match rolling, even though the commentary point out how silly that is.
3: I have a total of, I think it's like seven ball shots in this whole (laughs) pay-per-view.
0: Why? The lower, lower abdomen is mentioned a couple times. Yeah. Taker goes for Tombstone. Vader reverses out of it. By doing the, you know, go over the top, he tries to pick him up for his own tombstone, but uh, Vader's a little too heavy, and they spill. take ends up getting a two count out uh, out of this. Yeah, a little awkward. A little awkward, but they both they both recover pretty fast, and it just, you know, sometimes you're not always going to get the perfect reversal. It doesn't look too bad. Vader sets up for a Vader bomb, but takes too long, and then bam. Dick shot from Undertaker right in front of the referee again. <laughs> <laughs> not even blatant. You couldn't say the referee's not looking down. There's Vader bouncing on the second rope and just bam punches him like something out of an Adam Sandler movie. Taker grabs Vader by the throat, hits a second rope choke slam for a two. Another choke slam only gets another two. And commentary selling it like Vader's a madman. This is a miracle. Good old Jr. What a choke slam! Choke slam! Nam! Choke slam! This is followed up by a tombstone, and this is enough to keep the big Van Vader down for the tree count. Clean win by uh, Taker and the champion, and I think decent match, just two good athletic big guys and Taker being put over strong.
3: Yeah, another Vader loss on the podcast, but it never gets old. It's an excellent match. It's, I think it's another reason why like a, you should have the light heavyweight guys on the card because it's a good cr- contrast of styles because we go from that match into this heavyweight match, which is not even close. They don't do big spots. You know, we kind of joked around with all the ball shots, but other than that, like just great simple moves. The crowd is in the palm of their hands; they're going nuts over this whole match.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a comeback in particular with Taker. I think uh, Vader has him in some form of headlock. And, he, has, he
3: has the claw,
1: or the claw, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, that very very descriptive word. As Taker starts to come back, the crowd gets so into it, and the camera starts shaking. They're that loud. Oh yeah. That the camera, the main hard camera is is shaking itself. It will not be the last time you see that happen. It really just gets you energized into it. Like it must have been so cool to be wrestling for these guys. Like to be in that crowd and to be that pumped about something.
0: Yeah, no, it must be amazing. And um I do love that shaking camera imagery. We don't get it much in American shows and it must be so easy to work when people, like, again, they call it Bizarro Land, but it isn't. Vader's just a bad guy. Taker's just a good guy here. And super easy story to work around, and it makes every spot so much easier for the guys involved. After this match, we get a recap on the chaos of every stable hitting the ring on a random raw and tearing into each other. This is the same chaos that injured Ahmed, but eventually we get the feud boiled down to Austin versus all of the Heart Foundation. Austin being the crazy SOB is, jumping into the heart Foundation and taking them on on five-on-one the majority of the time, while sometimes reluctantly Americans help, including Foley getting his ass kicked by Owen Hart at some stage for trying to break up a sharpshooter on the ring post. Man, they love that sharpshooter on the ring post.
3: I loved Brett incorporating that into his heel character. I loved it. It just happens a lot,
0: is is which I don't know. I, I love the spot, and we'll obviously see it later on in the night, or very soon in the night, but... Uses it a lot, very effective. But uses it a lot. Doc is backstage with the American team, and we get some typical underdog face promos, generic stuff from Goldust calling himself basically the leader and uh, the gel of the group. We get LOD, of course, bringing it up a notch.
2: Tell him, Gus. <sighs> That was pretty
0: good. (laughs) That was pretty good. It worked better than I thought it would. (laughs) (laughs) You you got a career in 70s wrestling, kid. I am not nearly big enough. (laughs) (laughs) Austin, of course, has nothing to write this and seems to get his character more over by saying nothing and walking off when he's asked a question than any of these other guys do.
3: So, yeah, a few things on this promo. I kind of wish Austin said something because obviously he's like the best promo out of the group, but oh well. Animal, he's like, this has nothing to do with USA or Canada. I'm like, what? This is the whole, what the whole feud's about. <laughs> Team America.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Gold- I love how Goldust isn't even looking at the camera either.
0: No. I forget that because Goldust's gimmick is so weird, I forget in just old school promos like this, he's his father's son. It's a very straightforward, all American kind of promo. No weirdness about it, which I miss. Like, I think early Goldust is fantastic in his. You know, questioning people's sexuality, kind of making people mad and question themselves is something I love. And inspiration for future characters like Christopher Daniels' Fallen Angel, apparently. National Anthem is sung by a band called Farmer's Daughter. See Rendition, it's fine. Do you judge the Canadian National Anthem regularly? Yeah, it, it is a fine National Anthem. It's so friendly. I just enjoy it. It's like the French one. Just enjoyable National Anthem, you know?
1: Uh, the French one is far more bombastic, though. It's more...
0: Yeah. They could also be singing about... I, I like National Anthems that are peaceful, that aren't just about, here's some wars we fought. Come fight them so, again. So you not know? our but one, I, then. I don't, <laughs>
3: not <laughs> our one, no. Not America, yeah, no. Not, not the
0: American. Apparently, the, the American one was, uh, was commissioned by the Army in o- order to up recruitment.
3: Yeah, I can, I can see that. I will say it's a nice touch to pump up the crowd having the National Anthem before the main event, because... Usually, like sporting events, it's at the beginning of the night or the beginning of the show. So I thought this was a nice touch. Yeah,
0: it's it. I, they are really put. They are really leaning into the organic Canadian versus Americans that have come up here. They haven't set it up. The Heart Foundation was always around, and the American fans turned on them. The Canadians refused to. This is one of the most organically grown feuds I've ever seen. Same with the double turn. You know, even if there's some planning there, they had to do a lot of it on the night. And that's where a lot of the WWF product goes now. A lot of WCW's product feels very forced because there's so much creative control. This all feels like this is where the characters are just going. Everything feels very much, this is how it should be. This is who is good enough to be climbing the card. Howard Fink introduces us to some of the important VIP ringside people. We get the premiere of Alberta and we get someone way more important than the premiere, Stu Hart and his family by ringside. Man, Stu Hart in like his mid 80s here. Scariest man I've ever seen.
3: <laughs> he's one miserable dude, man.
0: <laughs> he's a miserable, miserable dude. Uh, no, no offense meant to him. It just he looks just looks, not,
3: yeah. Yeah, he, he
0: just looks angry all the time. I wonder if in his mind he's like that side head rock wasn't right by brett i'm gonna have to hit him later you know it's just it, it is constant scolding face even later on skipping a little ahead Stu is helped into the ring and he's like batting away pillman as pillman's helping him get there
3: yeah it runs in the family for sure brett like never smiles either
0: yeah team america out first and not getting a very uh warm welcome from the crowd you uh no, 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 interesting to see people like shamrock and lod booed so much because those two f- people that faction and shamrock do have you know heel moments but they're never out and out super heels like they are here
1: shamrock has a pretty decent run as a heel he because he's in the corporation for a while
0: yeah there's always a bit of badassness about shamrock though there's always a bit of i like him just cause, a bit like steve blackman i like him because he looks like he can hurt people yeah now we're talking (laughs) yeah (laughs) the lethal weapon free Bella. (laughs) (laughs) i
2: know exactly what
0: you're talking about apologies what what is notable here is steve is definitely getting booed a lot but there's a little mixed reaction for steve even in a place where he's the most hated in the world at the moment there's a little section that are still cheering for steve just because he is so badass
3: yeah, even the, You can see several Austin 316 shirts. There's like even a couple signs. So yeah, he definitely has a section. And they cut to the uh, Shamrock section. And King Ooh. and Vince can't help themselves. Yeah. <laughs> a more restrained King still. But I'm not
0: saying much. Since on multiple occasions, I'm pretty sure King just says, I would have sex with that person. And the attitude there. <laughs> <error>. So <laughs> you're strained by those standards, I guess. I'm also convinced that people are only booing Steve because Stu is there. And Stu would murder them if they didn't boo for the person feuding <laughs> with their son.
1: No, I, I genuinely do think like it's one of the few times I can remember Austin ever getting booed like this.
0: And again, even when Austin is heel and does his you know, teaming with Vince terrible turn, people are still cheering Austin. Even when Austin is in the invasion angle and he goes to WCW... People still cheer Austin because he's just so over through his entire career. But here in Canada, with some of his best work, he is getting some amount of booze at least. And he, he does play it up during the match, and he makes probably the whole crowd turn on him at some stage. Next out is Team Canada, or the Heart Foundation. And my God, is this the biggest pop? Are these the five biggest pops you've ever heard in wrestling? (laughs)
3: <laughs> Never thought Neidhart would get that much. Time, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a giant pop for Brian Filman because he's out first. I w- I wanted to say I'm just glad to see him in a match because honestly I've, I've seen very little of his work. I've maybe one or two Hollywood Blonde matches in WCW. I just haven't seen much of his his work. I haven't seen his ECW stuff, and I haven't watched much early WCW either. He
0: wrestles a pencil at one stage. <laughs> okay. yeah that that is a thing that happened. Yeah.
3: Yeah, Pillman's
1: fantastic. It's mad to see, like, and you can tell as well as each guy comes out and the crowd kind of slowly build. It builds, so it kind of starts off with Pillman, and then there's Nightheart, and it it kind of builds and builds, and it gets bigger and bigger. And you can just see them standing there, looking at each other, going, "What is going on? This is amazing." (laughs) (laughs) I hate to break to you guys, but they're all here for one person, and it's not you. Well,
0: I wanted to comment. Uh, I love this version of Bulldog this
3: Heart mm, Foundation yeah.
0: Bulldog is like my favorite I like to remember him like this and not Blue Jeans Bulldog that comes back for a brief sure stint later
3: on yeah I. by the way I fucking love Owen's like pop synth entrance oh it's amazing theme song it's amazing I do prefer his uh, Enough Enough is Time for a Change the yeah, yeah. Yeah. black hearts. this gives me the nostalgic feels for sure yeah. and of course Owen has his slammies which is and he
0: has them on the tights too as well it's
3: yeah. It's amazing. This is my favorite era of Owen. Love
0: it. Again, yeah, again, peak Owen at this stage. He just got his hair cut, so I think he looks a little less dorky and more tough as well. To,
1: yeah. To go back to Bulldogs as well, it, a little bit slightly, when they walk down to the ring and he's brought his wife with him, I just love that they get to the bottom and he's like, hey, baby, I gotta go wrestle. Talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: what, what I love about the Hart Foundation is all of them are such credible wrestlers and threats. And it's something a lot of stables get wrong. And uh, to a point is a problem with the NWO mid card own bulldog night hard. They're all title holders and threats within their own right. They don't need Brett. And while they're still Brett stooges, and if you're feuding with Brett, you need to get through these guys. When you get through them, it's rewarding. When a face overcomes night hard or Owen, it's important. That's an important step opposed to, uh, the Miz is a great example nowadays. If you get past the Miz's, whoever's dorks are with them, it doesn't matter. Everyone beats those people. They, they've they never got a win in their life. Where here, you're beating incredible threats to get to Bret. And the same happens later on with DX, the second incarnation of DX with the Road Dog and X-Pac and stuff. While they're not the most amazing wrestlers, they still gave them titles and made them feel important. And that's this outfit. It's just five amazing over-wrestlers opposed to One heel being surrounded by plebs.
3: Yeah, that's actually a great comparison because at one point the Heart Foundation gets all the belts and we we talked about the NWO should do that and that doesn't really happen. So, yeah, it's just a fantastic description of what this group is. I, I think what's really important, too, is there's just history behind everybody in this group and it's believable.
0: Yeah, there's history, there's even friction behind some people in the group, which this group could have splintered off into a hundred different stories and kind of did. And that's what's fantastic about it. And they don't do that enough anymore. They're like, there's formation, stables are formed. And I think the only recent one I can think of are like the shield, but they're very small. They're more like, they're more comparable to the free birds. Same with New Day. Uh, They just don't do this anymore. Evolution, I think, is the last big one I can think of, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Proper yeah. stable, yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking of like underrated, I don't know what the Heart Foundation to me is shouts underrated just because there was a lot of comparisons between like there was like a Twitter war of like, oh, who's better, NWO or DX? I'm like, I think I like the Heart Foundation more than DX. It, to be when honest. you
1: say Heart Foundation, do you mean this with the four or five guys? Like not just the tag yeah, team? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah no, I'm just saying. It's probably because of how short it is.
3: Which oh, is sad. Because,
1: I mean, it's only, one six months, maybe? Yeah, It's
0: it's very true. It's just the, the other side of it as well is they're kind of scrubbed from history a little bit because of all the bitterness that comes up in the next year. So when they're telling revisionist history, it's the same with, ODX oh, invaded WCW. No one cared that much at the time. It was nice. It was goofy. It was character development. But they're now making out to be such a big occasion. No one cared. Come on it's easier to put people who were with the company for so long and together as gus said for so long in such a positive light looking back where the heart foundation might be the best stable WWE ever had they're just short-lived and a lot of sadness and bitterness when it comes to an end like real life sadness and bitterness
1: yeah there's a lot i mean more than half of them have passed away now
3: yeah, I was hoping we weren't, weren't going to get to that. Yeah. You've seen the picture where it's like, it's just yeah. Brett's the only one that's in color. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so sad. It's heartbreaking. Is it only Brett now? It's only Brett. Yeah.
0: The Nighthard just died. Yeah, just Own died crazy. soon after this. Pillman's dead. Uh, for a long Pillman time. dies soon oh. after this, yeah. Yeah, I was like, is Pillman? now? of course Pillman dies <sighs> And David Boy dead about 10, 15 years now, I think. Yeah, it's geez, seasonally. that is very sad. Yeah. Their, their family, it's not Von Eric sad, but in general, the Hart family is a bit sad.
3: Even at recently, least they have this like, moment, though. That's that's the one thing. I'm, I'm glad that they got to enjoy yeah. this match, this crowd, this event together. Pit,
0: so. Pinnacle. This is what, some of the pinnacle of wrestling. This is just really good booking. Ten really over guys. I was saying before we started the cast, I think this is all of them pretty much at their peak. Maybe Legion of Doom is slightly beyond their peak, but still very serviceable.
3: I would say Nyhart's kind of past his peak. He yeah. had some singles matches that I watched; it was pretty dire. But in a ten man, this is like perfect for to hide Nyhart's yeah. troubling.
0: I always thought that about Nyhart a little bit, though. That he's not a, he's not a complete singles wrestler. He is a great hot tag and a great enforcer, but I I, I never really trusted him that much in singles matches.
1: What What are you defining peak
0: as? Their best of their wrestling ability. So combined wrestling ability. Well, combined. Character and wrestling ability.
1: Okay, peak so Austin of- definitely isn't at his peak yet, and um, I don't think.
0: Okay, that's fair. Like we, a year or two after this, yeah. probably
1: is. Yeah, Austin's I would say
3: peak of uh, just physical condition. If it's pure physical, physical condition,
1: voice. definitely this, because yeah, he's about to break his neck <laughs> in about a month.
3: Man, so many sad things happen <laughs> to
1: people in this
0: match. So, and Dustin Rhodes has to go back to WCW. That's like the saddest thing with people that happened in this match. <laughs> uh, Shamrock <laughs>
1: probably hasn't hit his peak yet either. He's definitely better later on, mm-hmm. I, I would say. He's a bit green at the moment. Corporate Shamrock is pretty good. But no, definitely the guys on the left. Yeah, this is probably as good as it gets for
0: them. Yeah. And this match, it, we're not going to go through it in too much detail because it it is chaos. We start off with a nice big face off between both teams. And straight away, we give the audience what they want. We don't build it up. Austin and Brett go at it. And these guys have some great inner chemistry.
3: I have down, both guys have excellent looking punches. Just some of my yeah. favorites. Yeah. Them exchanging blows, Austin flicking off the crowd. This, is, this sounds like the attitude era, doesn't it? <laughs> some people say this like this wasn't when the attitude era started. But like, man, this is what it was about. Just, just throw some punches. Crowd's going to go nuts. Middle fingers for everybody. Great time.
0: I'm not much of a historian, but to me this seems like pretty much the start of the Attitude Era to me. Yeah, it feels like it
3: started already.
1: I think yeah, I think I think once Austin has that music has engaged with that personality, I think you can include it because he just kind of drags everybody with him into the era.
0: Yeah, he'll he'll Brett uh, as we've talked about Undertaker and Mankind not being cartoons, just being people and fighters and Even Triple H is starting to lose his royal blood uh, kind of blue blood kind of character and becoming just random dick. So every wrestler kind of gets their moment to shine, and it's classic multi-man wrestling. I'm surprised it isn't maybe a quick elimination match or something, but maybe that takes up too much time on the card. No one gets a real advantage. When one wrestler is uh, tagged in, he gets his shine, and another wrestler tags out. Brett eventually breaks parity, taking out Goldust and Animal. He hangs Goldie in a corner, and the Heart Foundation, as Gold Dust's partner would say, start a cobbler. just all of them all <laughs> over, Dust in the corner. Animal tries to break it up, but they just shake him off, and they give him a hell of a beating. Own Heart in this match eats a Doomsday device, and uh, we say the Steiners work snug, but man, if you're the guy taking the Doomsday device, <laughs> you got to do 95% of that move, <sighs> or you're just breaking your neck.
3: Yeah, speaking of that, I think one of the Godwins like just broke their neck from the LOD.
0: Oof, a lot of Mm -hmm. broken necks in this era of wrestling, huh? Austin brings own turn Turnbuckle and wraps his rag around it, works the knee, like has been a big part of the survivory. They're all trying to injure each other. He hits him with a chair, which not a DQ, but okay. Bruce uh, Hart at ringside tries to pull him off, and eventually Austin scampers when Brett breaks it up. Owner's brought to the back limping, and the Heart Foundation uh, get revenge on Austin in the corner in the meantime. Brett gets Austin's knee and does the same thing except with a fire extinguisher, locks on the figure four onto the ring post, and does some serious damage to the knee. I always love this spot. It's broken up by LOD. LOD are very fast to break up spots. The Heart Foundation kind of let a spot linger for a second before breaking it up for Pillman gets involved. LOD just walk yeah. over and hit someone and walk back.
3: Well, it's yeah, funny. Yeah, but- man. Yeah, they no-sell everything, so they're, whatever. Things don't have to make yeah. sense for them. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's <laughs> just wrestle, guys. I'm
0: convinced <laughs> once or twice they weren't supposed to break something up, but do anyway, and the Heart Foundation are a little confused. Uh, Austin is forced to back as well, and we go back to a four-on-four match. And the only way I can describe the rest of this match is uh, brilliant chaos.
3: Yeah, that's kind of cool. At, at this point, like the action like action in the ring kind of like slows a bit, so the crowd can like simmer, just like catch their breath, and then, yeah, it's just chaos in in and out of the ring i was hoping to see the heart attack because you, you saw Enville kind of pick up one of the wrestlers directly. yeah you just
1: get the the elbow drop that's all
3: the elbow uh, drop is nice out of them the
0: radicals do yeah. that later with a leg like, drop
1: i have matches pure shenanigans i <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm right there with you guys it's like it's not really important what's going on there's no incredibly technical or high-flying thing going on but the crowd just carries everything and makes every single punch or kick count
0: yeah, there's not a lot of wasted motion in it because they don't. They're trying to get a lot done in a certain amount of time as well, and it just flows well. And it's like the good kind of nonsense, you know.
1: It's it's very human as well because there's so many of the breakdowns are just like somebody breaks a pin and then they just kind of go fuck, ah, fuck it. I'll just attack the corner.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <lots of laughs> and like everybody
1: just... kind of mills in and has like a Donnybrook, as uh, some <laughs> announcers used to say, and it all kind of falls apart from like the refs control or whatever and stuff happens and, and it goes on from there but it all just looks very real
0: yeah i, I can believe a ref losing control here i think that's a really good point because how do you control these 10 guys they all hate each other ld do whatever the hell they want the Hard <laughs> foundation all attack at once so how are you supposed to break any of them up without throwing out the match you can't try out a match that's in front of a canadian crowd they'll riot I believe that the ref can't control these 10 people, so it just suspends my disbelief when Austin gets to use a chair in the corner for a little bit. Or, you know, Austin's brought to the back, and he just comes back to fight again. And any time an LOD member just breaks up a pin and doesn't give a crap about the rules for a couple of seconds, it's good. It's it's not, it's not controllable by uh, the tiny referee.
3: Yeah, I like to think about it like the camera whatever the camera sees the ca- the ref cannot see it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Cameraman's so much better at picking up action than refs. Why is that cameraman looking at oh, all better look at something else?
1: Uh.
0: <laughs> Austin is back down to gain that 5-on-4 advantage and he wants straight back into the ring. We get Austin and Brett and the crowd is at a fever pitch. We get a sharpshooter attempt by Brett straight away broken up by Animal barely on. Austin attempts one on Brett And Owen is back down to the ring to break it up, but there's a long pause and you wonder why none of the other Foundation members (laughs) decide to break this up middle of the ring.
3: Well, we just have to point out every time the the camera work is amazing. This is an awesome shot that's like in the foreground, you can see uh, the sharpshooter being applied, Applied. but you can see in the background, Owen running down the ramp. Just fantastic into
0: the ring. Because on
3: WCW, you'd be like, why is the crowd cheering? Oh, yeah. Why are they up? looking somewhere? Why, oh. Yeah, why are they looking? Is someone right, fighting right. into the crowd again? Yeah. Oh, no, it's a wrestler.
0: Oh, no, it's Sting. And then it moves, <laughs> and like
1: somebody's somebody's on the ground, and you're like, oh, okay, fair enough.
0: <laughs> Owen and Austin brawl to the outside, and Austin gets involved with Stu again. Crowd eating up that they're he's daring to touch Stu. Bruce breaks this up, and they start scrapping, making it look super personal, because the non-wrestling hearts look like they're just actually trying to punch his Austin they might be my favorite with this
1: is Bruce had tried to do this like several times already. So he would not it, it feels like they told him like, okay, we're going to do a spot where you kind of get in the way. Like you're going to throw your drink at Austin and he's going to get, get into it with your dad. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. And like literally two minutes into the fight, like Austin is out outside and you just see Bruce hail him with a drink. <laughs> and Austin just kind of looks back and just ignores him and he carries on. And he's like, Oh no.
2: no,
0: no. <laughs> the dastardly Austin after getting involved with the non-wrestlers slides back into the ring when Brett stops him from scrapping with his family and Owen rolls him up for a quick tree I think this is a great way to save face you don't want any of these like it doesn't feel good any of these 10 men eating a pin and certainly none of the Canadians were eating a pin Owen getting to come back and be a bit heroic after taking a beating from that that wicked Austin is a good finish to the match I think
1: don't forget the the aftermath as well, which is, to be fair, Austin kisses a lot of ass here to make sure that the guys look pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, this doesn't stop the fight. The Hart family are all coming into the ring to get involved, but security eventually break it all up. And Austin looks distraught as Team America is escorted out to boos and chants. After a bit of celebration, though, Austin is back out with a chair and nails Neihart as the rest of the Hart Foundation Lay into Austin on the ground. Security handcuffs him. Drags him out while Austin is kicking, spitting. Pillman for the, the multiple times in this match spits on people, but spits straight at Austin again here. Lovely.
3: Yeah, I love how Austin is flicking flicking off the crowd, even with the handcuffs on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, bending
0: over and, and getting the birds. A nice bit of commentary by King. We didn't talk about the commentary too much, much in this match, even though it was pretty excellent. They better put cuffs on his legs to but he'll still kick some ass. That's just a a fantastic line. Austin looking great, but putting over the hearts really strong in their hometown. They bring 82-year-old Stu into the ring to celebrate. As I said, he is trying to refuse help from Pillman and I think Owen, but they have to help him into the ring. He is is not in perfect health at this time. All the grandchildren hit the ring as well, and I'm sure some just random people in the crowd.
3: I can't remember if, I think it was King that says, uh, Helen, you're responsible for all of this. (laughs) <laughs> just all the hearts in the ring
0: it is a great visual getting all the hearts happy and healthy in the middle of the ring after such a good pay-per-view and such a, a fantastic crowd one of the coolest uh, wrestling crowds I think I've ever heard
3: yeah, I think Austin deserves a lot of credit too I mean he shines as as a superstar even when he's taking the pin and yeah. he's lost a couple times on pay-per-view already but he's still amazing and that's, that's yeah. something you can't say during like the 98-99 run where he like never loses yeah, he knows
0: how to put people over, and that's a lot of the story of this card. There's no creative control. There's no selfishness, you know. Mick is putting over a young hunter, and Mick gets to win back, but Mick makes him look great. Vader has no problem getting squashed by Taker. We're seeing Austin, who is an up-and-coming star, and at this stage, they kind of know it. He's not at his apex. The screw job hasn't happened, so they don't know exactly how big he's going to be. But they know he's big, and they know he's loved, and they still have him take the pin, and it just makes all the Canadians look like a million bucks. Not even to Brett, it does it to Owen. Fantastic.
1: Is it fair to say that he's the biggest mistake of Bischoff's career?
0: Austin, he did, he did yes. fire him. So yeah, one hundred percent. That was that was over like pay, and again, Aust- Austin's and Bischoff's story are different, and it's all again, victors look better at the end. But Austin was also over. Like The Hollywood bronze were big. Pillman and him were big. They had titles. Uh, they had plans for him. And all of a sudden, the plans were kind of just dropped. It was very political. And they said they had nothing for him to do. And he moved on to ECW, where he cut some of the best wrestling promos, maybe, of all time.
3: Honestly, when I knew the, the hearts were in this match, I knew it was going to end in a roll-up. <laughs> the secret
0: finisher, or not-so-secret finisher. That is their finishing move, yeah. Yeah, it's... There's a certain amount of Japanese kind of to it. Big multi-man match with all the talents so and none of them have to wear, each- uh, wear themselves down. Ending in a roll-up that makes no one look stupid but still makes the victors look good. It's kind of saving big payoffs.
3: Right, and also kind of makes sense too when there's so much chaos and there's 10 people. You can't just say, oh, here's a big moment, big finisher. It needs to be kind of out of nowhere. So it kind of, people miss it. You gotta make sure animal's
0: slow enough not to break up the pin. If he's coming <laughs> in and breaking up everything, it's not possible that someone hits. He's no-selling
3: somewhere else, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you gotta make him no-sell to someone in the crowd before you can get a pin in the ring with animal around. I I think this is uh the pinnacle of the hearts, right? This is the biggest they get, and it is sad and it's understandable. There's a lot of layers to the history of what happens after this, but it's sad not to see them just run the joint for a year, you know? Be all the champions for a year and get a big, big kind of payoff to the end of this because it doesn't really get paid off. Depends what you mean by payoff, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm
3: trying to. Trying yeah, to think. I think it's, this is kind of the payoff. Almost. Yeah.
0: One thing I'd like to point out, I, I forgot at the start of the match, the documentary "Wrestling with Shadows" is being filmed. There's a camera crew. Yeah, they mentioned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the full documentary in forever, but this is a decent moment in it.
3: Yeah, because they they show the 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 them talking about the finish. And they show what it actually happened in real time, which is really cool. It's a good documentary yeah. if you've never seen it. Yeah, it's really
0: good. Yeah, man. it's one, one of the best, for sure. One of the best wrestling ones.
3: I knew this match was the famous match of the show. <laughs> and it definitely did not disappoint. Because I was a little worried because usually these 10-man tag matches, they tend to be like giant cluster clusterfucks. Especially like the Survivor Series matches. You were asking why there weren't elimination ones. I, maybe because of length. That's usually why, I think. But I thought the yeah. match like flowed beautifully and... Everybody got like even time in the ring and the crowd just obviously absolutely ate it up.
0: And no one looked bad. And every match on this card, and this is a very technical way of looking at it, but this is just good business. No one on this card looked bad. No one came out worse. This extended storylines has made everyone plausible. I don't think we can say that once after a WCW card so far. (laughs) Not so far
1: anyway. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't have much faith in the future either, but I mean, it could happen. Uh,
0: (laughs) It is hard to do a 10-man match and afterwards, just think more of each team involved. Besides, maybe Dusty didn't come off looking. Not Dusty, sorry. Dustin Rhodes didn't come off looking fantastic. Goldust. But he took some of the punishment. And at the start, he was like the good, good guy. He was bringing the team together. And he still got to wrestle a bit. I don't know how you can do 10 men. Ten. There's 10 men. There's 20 minutes in this match. And all of them still get some offense in.
3: We haven't really talked much about who could have subbed for maybe Goldust. Because, yeah, because you point out Goldust is kind of the, seems to be the weak link in a bit here.
1: A odd as well. I know his character is odd, but, but he is odd. Yeah.
3: And it actually makes more sense to have Mankind in the match for the storyline actually going into the buildup. Obviously, it would have been cool to have Sean. I think Sean's hurt at this point. So that that's a reason. I think that may, may have kind of taken the, the focus away from Austin and Brett. So I'm fine with that. But I think Mankind was probably the logical substitute that it all worked out in the end. It wasn't too bad, but that that's definitely like maybe the one critique we can point out here.
1: Yeah, that like Austin's side does seem kind of cobbled together. I, I don't think there's any team that won't look cobbled because of who they're wrestling in the Hart Foundation, but it's still, it is really like, uh yeah, you guys are here, come on. Uh, <laughs> it's, it has that kind of feel to it. Like I don't really... Get the sense that Austin has any sort of connection to anybody in the match.
0: Yeah, I, I don't mind the Legion of Doom because it's in these kind of matches you always throw in the face tag team, the big face tag team will, will be with the other face. But Ken Shamrock could have been anyone, Goldust could have been anyone, but they're still fine. They're serviceable upper mid card baby faces. They both, I think they've both been Intercontinental Champion at the stage, or is Ken Intercontinental Champion later? I think it's later. Because he has um, much later
3: rock and rock Rock yeah. hasn't started yet.
0: Okay, yeah. So Ken is a future intercontinental champion. Goldust has accomplished a lot and been an intercontinental champion at this stage. So it just seems like they're like, well, good tag team face, and uh, here's two other current faces because the rest of them are busy.
3: Yeah, it's a good way to elevate the, the, that town, too. They they know Shamrock's going to be a part of their future. So why not give them a rub? Yeah.
0: Okay, what do you guys think of the whole show? And instead of asking you, if you're on the NWO or WCW side, I'm going to ask you, Team Brett or Team Austin? Fergus, you first. That's a tough
1: one. It's a tough one. I'm going to go with uh, first before that is that the subtitle of this show should be All of WCW's Mistakes. Uh, Because, (laughs) like... seven or eight it's at least seven or eight wrestlers here were on the wcw roster at one time or another some for a decent amount of time some for not and literally all of them are in big spots on this card and they're all involved so hunter mankind vader taker pillman austin gold dust the legion of doom yeah are all we all in uh wcw at one point or another now they're, they're, it's not a mistake with or Legion of Doom. They've had their careers. It's it's different. That's fine, whatever. But you are talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is going to become quite possibly the biggest wrestler of all time uh, within two years of this. Mankind, who is probably one of the most loved and popular wrestlers of this period and is, like we said, responsible for making two of the biggest stars in the company's history in Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Putting books and seats. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, low blow. Uh, much <laughs> like the show. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you have Hunter Samsey who's, well, he's basically going to end up owning the company uh, in the future <laughs> but is probably one of the most recognizable guys. Probably not quite on the same level as the other two but is an integral part of the history and is very responsible for wcw going out of
0: business you, you can make an excuse for hunter and taker because they were so young and green at the time
1: and yeah taker and taker and hunter are fair enough they're, they're young enough you can't really plan on that i don't know uh taker's career in wcw so he could have looked awful and i mean he wasn't great when he came into into wbf and it's really the gimmick that got him there in the first place so I'm willing to give those away. Mankind is a big one, and Austin is just, I don't understand. One of the quotes they said, is Bischoff said, he's not marketable. Uh, <laughs>
3: not
1: marketable. Pillman's yeah, oh, the same. So. It's,
3: it's fun. Well, it's, Brett's the same because Bischoff is always like, oh, Brett's never really a draw. Like, have you watched this show? Yeah. Have you watched like, any, of, any WWF from 96 to 96? It's
1: crazy. Like, the, the worst match on this card is probably the heavyweight match, and it's like a great match everybody's working as they should they're really pushing they're striving it really looks like they're about to explode i don't understand how it took so long because it's another is it another year before foley gets the title
3: 99
1: yeah so it's nearly two years like before they really really fly off the shelves like man it's 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 night and day watching these shows now i mean it's kind of unfair we did pick we did get to watch probably the best pay-per-view of that year thank you fans yeah but still <laughs> it, it's it's full on night and day I mean I can't go, I can't go against Austin to be fair I, I gotta be team Austin because Austin is literally he is so locked in at this point in time and man I would have loved to have seen him if he hadn't have broken his neck things would be so different yeah he's
0: so ta- so talented
1: because he's responsible for changing an entire main event style after he fucks his neck up like so god knows where they would have been
3: yeah it's a big what if yeah yeah
0: so. Yeah. How about you, Connor? What side would you be on and what do you think of the show overall?
3: I think I pretty much agree with all of Gus's points. I mean, I have to go with what? How old was I at this point? What, like 12 or 11? I have to go with what my pick would have been. It would have been Brett. Easy. And it still probably is Brett. This show, not a bad match on the card. Awesome variety throughout the show. No filler. You know, we were talking about WCW. Even the current product I wish they could take notes on this show. It's an, an easy watch under two hours. I watched it twice easily. And that was just like, I enjoyed watching it. I'm Like, I want to watch it again. It wasn't for no purposes. I was like, let me just watch it again. Just to, <laughs> for enjoyment. I think I said earlier, crowd makes the show. And when, it, when a crowd is that amped up, yeah. it's just, it's so easy to watch it. Not sure if this would make my personal top 10, but I highly recommend this show to just any wrestling van.
1: It's a real big turning point. It's probably more significant than people realize. As well,
3: right?
0: Yeah, it's a bird, bird of a lot of modern, still modern patterns we see in wrestling, and yeah, there's just so much action. I love two-hour shows. I am all for a savage four or five-hour card when it comes to Mania if it's well booked, or when it comes to Wrestle Kingdom. But man, I I wish they were fewer and far between. I like these two-hour shows. They just have to pack so much entertainment and so much talent there. I think I'm on on Brett's side, and that's because of the Hart Foundation. I think Brett and maybe Neihard are like my least favorite members of the Hart Foundation. I love Owen so much at this stage, and I love Pillman. Such fantastic wrestlers, and man, it makes me deeply sad to think of.
3: (laughs) I know. Agree. Uh, After this, I'm definitely going to watch some more Owen matches and some Brian Pillman matches.
0: Yeah, Yeah, might watch some Hollywood Blondes or something like that from WCW Mm -hmm, at some stage.
3: yep.
2: And along with the funeral home, you killed your parents. You killed your family, Undertaker. I know it! I've had this secret on my inside all my life. Twenty years. You killed them. Undertaker, you are a murderer! You are a murderer, Undertaker! You're a goddamn murderer!
0: That's us for another edition of the WCW vs. NWO podcast. Follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle WCW vs. NWO podcast. Connor, where else can they find us?
3: Well, Dave, we also have a Vimeo page. I actually recently posted a nice little video uh, podcast uh, on our raving review of the Hugh Morris and Conan match. It is a delight. A, a fun thing to put together. I'm hoping I could put together more like three, four minute videos. I'll post them on Twitter as well. But yeah, check out our Vimeo page. It's also at WCW versus NWO podcast. If you want to give us a, like a review or send us some comments on SoundCloud or just iTunes reviews, all of that helps. And we really appreciate all the listeners that voted to pick this episode. It's just so much fun to just take a break from WCW for a little bit. I will say, though, we should probably stick to the our current story arc probably until maybe Starcade. Before Starcade, will maybe delay like we have WCW has been delaying uh, bringing Sting back. So yeah. Uh, yeah, but we'll definitely the next like four or five episodes is gonna be WCW pay per views for sure. Excellent.
1: I, I still vote for doing an, an ECW one from this year as well.
3: Yeah, I
0: wouldn't mind. Uh, wouldn't mind putting up a few ECW ones. Very influential. we want to see
3: real contrast. <laughs> oh. It's 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 rough at times. Uh, yeah, it's hard because yeah. barely legal is like the one from '97 to talk about. So maybe we'll wait until '98. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: For me, Connor and Gus, thanks for listening, and join us next time when WCW is getting a little more perfect.